Hello, this is Property Matters, a weekly catch-up on all matters property, supported by Fairview International Property Consultancy and auctionproperty.co.uk. We're live every Sunday from 10am on YouTube, Facebook and on our website, propertymatterstv.co.uk. And if you're watching on our website, we'd love to get a Google review from you on the Google review button. Just leave us a short review on the homepage there. Please get involved by adding your comments to the comments section on today's show. And if you'd like to email us, we have an address. It's hello at propertymatterstv.co.uk. Property Matters is also available as a podcast on our website and via the biggest podcast platforms every Monday morning at 10 o'clock. And I'm pleased to say that the show is also being broadcast now on Dilsa Radio. So we welcome new listeners there. Let's take a look at this week's property news with our property professional. It's Joe Joshi. Morning, Joe. Good morning. Good morning, Paul. Good morning, everybody. Um, yeah. Do you know the clocks going forward has absolutely thrown me this morning? I mean, <laughs> I, I wouldn't I wouldn't have minded a little bit extra, but, you know, how, how it works. And you just, all of a sudden it's there, isn't it? It's like time to get up and talk property. So here we are. Happy yep. to chat property anytime. Yeah, it's actually technically speaking just gone nine o'clock, <laughs> <laughs> which which feels a bit scary. Anyway, let's look at our first uh, story of the week, and of course, it was the big news which uh, everyone kind of expected on Thursday, which was the announcement from the Bank of England that the base rate was going to increase from four percent to four point two five percent to try and get inflation under control. Bank and Bank of England's decision to lift rates for the eleventh time in a row came after figures showed the cost of living rising by more than expected the day before. Inflation jumped to ten point four percent in the year, of course, to February, despite predictions it would fall. The rate rise comes amid lingering worries over the global financial system after two US banks failed. The latest rate hike makes the cost of paying back mortgage, of course, and other loans and credit cards more expensive, but should mean people get a better return on savings. So it's no real surprise that the, the rate went up after the news, with, what with the banks, and then, of course, the inflation rate actually increasing slightly. So, uh, But it's just not good news, particularly for the first-time buyer end of the market, is it, Joe? No, it's, uh, it's, it's becoming more and more challenging for the first time buyers, Paul, and not only just that, also many other people and their, their uh, um, cost of living um, and the amount of money that they're having to spend out just in other rates, other interests, other loans that they're having to sort of pay out for. I know that uh, quite a lot of um, our developer clients who take out bridging finance are absolutely crucified at this moment in time because whilst the Bank of England puts its rate up, the finance companies puts their rates up obviously in line which normally means double i mean i know where um people have actually ended up having to pay double the rate from what they were doing literally i don't know six months ago now and it's crucifying all of the developers as well um of course it is important to understand that uh, you know they do want to bring this inflation down but at this moment in time the inflation going up and up and up is really killing it everybody uh, interested in normal life yeah, it's interesting, the uh, property industry's reactions to the story. Um, some were saying it was a bit of a mixed bag, they thought, until that inflation information came out. There was a, It could go either way was going to be the decision uh, prior to the Wednesday announcement of the increase in inflation. But now that they're saying the JLL forecasting is saying that uh, house prices now at 4.25% are likely to fall 6% nationally in 2023, with the market starting to see annual growth return to the latter part of 2024 so we're in for i suppose just over a year maybe 18 months of price correction really aren't we 
And I kind of predicted that in a way because, uh, it, you know, um, what they did um, in the, during the pandemic is made property and building and developing an absolute um, winner. Um, a, lot of, a lot of development was going on. Um, a lot of builders were building away whilst you know people were in, in pandemic. Now, um, they've put the brakes on that part of it. And I feel, um, and I've said it here before, that you know, come about 12 months down the road when uh, you know, we're, we're gonna go for uh, re-election and all that kind of stuff, they will utilize. Property's always been a bit of a yo-yo for the, for the government. They, they use it and abuse it in the, in the way that they feel fit. Um, and of course, the layman, the people, the average person falls for it because it is our number one investment. We want to buy a home. We want to have that. So what's happening at the moment is that they are, they've done nothing. If you look back at the budget, there was absolutely zero in there for the property market at all. But of course, I, I believe that come the end of the year, beginning of next, 2023, uh, um, 24, you will find that um, you know there will be more uh, things done for the property because they know that that's what's probably going to help them win the votes that they think they're going to need in order to come back into power. But the reality is, in the meantime, we are hurting. I mean, not hurting, we're bleeding to a point where basically the two things that went up um, simultaneously were not just the interest rate, but also all of the utility costs. And it is, it is just sacrifice that people are having to make um, at this precise moment. The suggestion in the industry is that people think we're now at the peak of the tightening cycle. So, um, uh, you know, it's, it's going to get better from here on in. This is probably as far out as it's going to go. Um, there's a strong appetite from lenders remaining. Uh, mortgages now appear to have settled for a, a longer period at around 4% at this level. With strong employment market and improving economic sentiment, they say, we see a more benign year ahead than expected with prices drifting down an average of 5 to 6% as affordability feeds through indifferently into different areas. Of course, this it's worth mentioning that geographically this will have different effects. It's going to be more uh, more keenly felt in the southeast and London, but some areas in the, the northeast, etc., and other areas where there is, I suppose, um, appetite for growth. Um, investors are thinking, I can see a, 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 an increase here because prices seem lower by comparison. There's going to be some areas that will see some uh, reasonable activity, I suppose. Yes, I mean, the, it is going to be very region to region, parts of the country to parts of the country. And at the moment, of course, um, you know, it's the old story. London is where it's going to ripple out from at this time um, if there is a correction. Um, but that doesn't stop people investing in London because for every cloud, there's a silver lining, of course. And for the cash people, people that got enough money um, on their account, earning good interest rates now that the Bank of England's rates that high and also um, the fact that cash is king, so this is their opportunity to become is become a buyer's market. So, you know, people are going in there and saying, okay, well, I've got the cash on the hip, and um, what can I buy, and what, what at what price? So, whilst it's a correction and it's still going, it doesn't say that it's not going to continue to go, um, and the housing market is won't go. It's just that it's going to be regionalised. Of course, other parts of the country will suffer because the interest is not there. Having said all of that, the return on investment. Is probably much higher at this moment in time in other parts of the country at this moment because um a the the buying price is much much lower the, the, you know the, the, if they got the cash on their hands they will go out there and they will continue to buy um, as quickly as possible and and the returns are better 
because the renting market is absolutely booming at this moment in time. Yeah, that, that's true. Uh, they, they said that, uh, you know, actually the first quarter of this year has been not exactly stratospheric, but it has been building slowly. But that comes off the back of a really bad quarter of, after the mini budget, of course, October, November, December, when uh, things literally fell off a cliff for a while. Everybody was thinking, whoa, hold your horses. We, we don't want to move in this kind of volatile environment. But uh, things have been picking up. But there is a feeling that the economy is still very weak and it's just been... Um, dealt another big blow in the face, really, and one wonders whether it will teeter either way. But there is activity going on. There are people moving, of course. There are people who have to move for whatever reason. Um, uh, but demand is down, they say, about 20%. People still want to move. Households are resetting their plans in an environment of higher borrowing costs. Talk of big, big price corrections in home values has been overplayed. And if you price your home sensibly, it's likely to attract interest subject to negotiation on the final price, which kind of means then that means the price is going to come down because people want a deal now because it's obviously a buyer's market. Yeah, I mean, you know, we've had this, this yo-yo in the buyer's and the seller's market all the time, uh, Paul. And at the moment in time, it is um, a buyer's market. And, um, and if someone has to sell, they've just got to be a bit more realistic in what they want to achieve um, on their sale price. Um, and and because there is more available, you know, it's always down to supply and demand. And because there is now more stock available, uh, people, buyers have a choice. Um, and, and whilst they have a choice, they also have a choice of what they're going to pay for it. Um, and it's just that, you know, you've got to negotiate a little bit harder to achieve the goals that you want. Um, and uh, because it is a buyer's market and, and those that have the cash, they are, they are in a stronger position to buy, not just in the South or in London, but pretty much anywhere in the country. Yeah, current owners uh, that are remortgaging right now, that on average they're having to find somewhere between two hundred and three hundred pounds a month more uh, to, to to keep the same home that they used to enjoy at much lower rates. Of course, that's obviously filtering through into their affordability, um, and effectively that's what that's doing is correcting the market, bringing back more sensible pricing. As you mentioned, the supply and demand is leveling out now, and that's starting to soften the prices. And, and that's going to counteract what many people still think was unsustainable transaction levels over 2021 and 2022. Um, and also, of course, the uh, what now for many are unachievable house price rises over that period of time. So we are in um, a correction area. Home ownership continues to sit at the top of the table for savers looking to beat inflation. This is your point and make their money work harder for them. No cash savings rates currently available can beat inflation. By comparison, from January 2022 to January 23, the average UK price rose by £17,000, just showing how reliable long-term capital growth in our bricks and mortar can be. Even with average monthly mortgage payments being £733 a month, homeowners could have made an average profit of 8,156 and that's why we still want our bricks and mortar oh no no question about it i mean you know i've always been an advocate of home buying and, and the bricks and mortar value and yes of course at the moment we're going through a, a correction time but fundamentally long term it's always not just a good investment um, and not that we're advising on investment, but obviously we know that for as many years as we've been in the business uh, and as many years as people have been buying, why they buy, it is, is a good return on whatever money they put into it. But of course, uh, people just want to own their own home. They just, if they can, they would rather buy. Uh, and that's become a little bit more challenging at this moment in time for first time buyers. 
And even if it's if it means that people are taking, you know, the bank of mum and dad for argument's sake, you know, at one time it was actually easier and cheaper to take money out of the property, take the equity out and give it to your children. At the moment, it's expensive to do that because, you know, if they are now refinancing or taking that, their rate has gone up so high. So everybody is uh, has, uh, having to sort of tighten the belt at the moment. Yeah, an average uh, 70% of mortgage holders, of course, are insulated from what we're talking about because they have a fixed rate. Uh, but a squeeze on household finances will be felt by the estimated 1.65 million borrowers on a variable rate mortgage, of course, and a further 1.36 mortgage holders who've, whose fixed rate will end sometime in 2023. The average borrower coming to the end of a fixed rate deal on a 25-year repayment mortgage will see their bill raised by £3,199 a year to £13,641 in 2023, unless they're able to extend their mortgage term or temporarily move to an interest-only mortgage. Around 1.18 million borrowers could face an increase in mortgage costs next year as fixed rate deals end uh, though the impact for them will be less acute, assuming as we do that the bank rate will start to come down um, uh, uh, over the next year. So there's, uh, there's there's some protection for people at the moment because they're secured on their fixed rate. Seventy percent of people have that, of course. But uh, there is this uh, there is this fear, of course, when you come to the end of that, where will rates be? And it's not just the the interest rates for for those people, but it's also equally. Um, just money in the pocket, that's where it begins to hurt at this moment in time, is what is actually available um, and how far it's gone up and how quickly that is affecting people. And a two, three hundred, four hundred pounds a month extra is now a lot of money, not only because of the mortgage, but also the cost. I mean, the reason why the inflation is going up, they're stating is the cost of food alone, the shopping is, is gone up to such a level that it is impossible to buy, you know, the basics now at, at, at a cheaper rate. So there is, uh, there, it's just a breaks on at this moment in time. And uh, but um, the flip side is that people will not stop buying property. It is what they want to do, um, and if the opportunity arises, they will do that as, as, as quickly as possible. And the first time buyers are suffering primarily because you know, bank of mum and dad isn't able to support them at the moment because it's costing them too much to borrow more money, and equally they've got to see that their return at the moment is probably good and better and stable at the bank at four, four and a quarter percent. Yes, many of the professionals are expecting rates <coughs> to, uh, prices to fall by uh, single figures, five to six percent. Um, but it is, it does feel uh, tough or it's a bitter pill for first-time borrowers because they are the first-time buyers. They are the people that are going to be hit by this the most. The people, as you say, at the top of the chain with the cash to buy, they're, they're quids in, aren't they? It does seem to be disproportionately beneficial to the to the wrong end. Well, on the other hand, you know, the cash buyers and the people that have been saving uh, before will probably say, well, it's their turn now, for argument's sake. You know, it's now flip side, because when, when the rate was a quarter of a percent and, and lower, they were getting no return on their investment in savings or in the bank or, or whatever. And in fact, they were fueling the market a lot, primarily, because um, they couldn't get enough out of their savings. So what they did is they started to buy property. The buy-to-let market went absolutely through the roof. They thought, well, I'd rather have my money in a property rent it out and have some income coming in rather than just sitting on the in the account which was only earning them maybe a quarter of a percent or less in some cases um, at one point it was pretty much you know naught um, and so 
it's their term for what it's worth to say, well, now at least at four and a quarter, we're going to get that. And by the way, as much as I, I don't like to put dampeners, I, I still don't think that we are, we are there. I know predictions are that we're almost there now, but I, I still believe that we're going to end up having a little bit more. I've always said, and, and we've, we've said it here before, that basically uh, I think it's going to be about 0.5, you know, 5% before we actually settle down with this. Um, <clears throat> from 2007, 2008, when the financial crisis happened, they brought the rate down so much that, you know, it was inevitable at some stage it's going to have to go up. What really worries me, I suppose, is that in spite of all of those things happening, Paul, the um, financial crisis is kind of in the background looming as well because these banks in America, because there's the old, old adage, isn't it, when, when America uh, sneezes, we catch the cold here. And, um, and here we are now almost probably being overprotective and I think the Bank of England actually put the rate up, Nothing, not much to do with the fact that the inflation was going up, but I think they did it also to put a little bit of break on market and, and save themselves from other banks. And we haven't had that here yet, but, um, you know, let's, let's say that they are strong enough. Hopefully they are. We don't have those crises, but God help us if that happens, because that is so going back to 2007, 2008 situation. And, and the banks will stop lending. Banks have stopped lending fundamentally already anyway, because they are not lending A, as much, and B, um, the, 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 the stress test at this moment in time is over and above and beyond. You know, it's not just the basics. They, they want to know, it's, you know, taking into account utilities, taking into account your everything before they're saying, oh, well, we can actually lend you that. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit challenging and it's not exciting from, from my personal point of view because obviously the market slows down. But I always think that there's always someone somewhere. There's always, you know, someone that's going to sell, someone that's going to buy. And it's just the case of being in a position to negotiate the best possible deal. One mortgage expert has an interesting view. I'll just read what he had to say. So it's been an unusual six weeks, starting off with the base rate rise last week, looking almost certain. And then during that six weeks, quickly looking unlikely. And then in the 48 hours running up to the decision, the outlook changed again, following the publication of those inflation figures and also the bank situation. And that's culminated in the 25 basis points rise. During this period, he said, of uncertainty, lenders have largely kept mortgage rates flat while they awaited the outcome of three key events, the spring budget, the inflation report, and of course, the most recent base rate decision. This means that the current mortgage rates already factor in a rate rise in March. So we won't necessarily see mortgage rates increase dramatically following the decision to raise um, the rate to 425. The fact that rates rise, the, the rate rise is lower than previous rises along with the longer term inflation indication that inflation is still likely to fall sharply over the year. This should now give lenders more confidence to start to edge down their rates. Lenders will wait to see how markets respond to the bank rates decision, uh, the bank's decision on the rate rise before they reprice their deals. So they're saying that there won't be too much fallout from this quarter percent rise. So uh, there is something positive there for uh, those looking to remortgage and perhaps those looking to get a new mortgage. Yes, no, I, I, look, the lower they keep it, the better it is um, uh, for everybody. But, um, and certainly for people that want to buy property, uh, you know, that's, that's where their investment is. But of course, it, it's, it's a bit of a, a cautious um, way of going forward. You just got to be 
clever, talk to the right lenders, get the right uh, fixed rates, perhaps over the next three to five years that are, that is available, uh, and 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 steady the ship. And that's what is actually happening to a large extent is that there's a correction and steadying of the ship going forward. But um, you know, it, 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 they're hitting the property market where it hurts at this moment in time. And um, there's not much we can do about it other than, you know, utilize what we have to the best effect. And of course, as it's a buyer's market, every first time buyers out there should really step up somehow um, and, and see if they can actually get them the, the borrowing and buy the property, because this is how they will get the better deals. Our industry is full of uh, buzzwords and, uh, and jargon, Joe, and, uh, um, and acronyms such as MEES, Minimum Energy Efficiency Standards, EPC, Energy Performance Certificate, all these things. Uh, and retrofitting was a new one on me. So retrofitting is the new thing that landlords are having to fear or look into or do. Um, there's been quite a lot of debate about retrofitting recently. Uh, this is obviously the uh, the idea that you've got to bring older properties up to a level C by 2025 or 28, depending on your circumstances. Um, and there's a big debate going on at the moment about whether landlords should start doing this now rather than wait until it becomes legislation. Because it has to be said that it's not actually legislation yet. So um, there is some um, ambiguity, I suppose, as to... Um, I think there's a general consensus that actually it's going to happen at some point. It's not will it happen, won't it happen. It's going to be when is it going to happen. So um, what's your view? Do you think landlords should get on with it now or do you think that uh, they should wait until they find out exactly what's going to be required of them? Well, I, I, I would suggest to all landlords and all property developers, owners... Um, that they should start working as soon as their property becomes vacant or, or end of a, a tenancy happens. This is your window of opportunity to try and get it up to the grade that is expected to happen in due course. Um, the problem is that when and if, uh, should we say not if, but when the thing becomes law, then the pressure is going to be tenfold on all sorts. For example, um, first of all, if everybody has to then make sure that the minimum grade is C, the workers that are going to be required to bring that up to those levels, like the electricians, like the, the plumbers, like the window guys, like the, the decorators, they will be so flat out that you're going to have to pay more in order to make sure that you get the right person in a time because your property may be vacant, let's say, for a month or so and you've got to get somebody in there to bring it up to level and if you don't bring it up to level theoretically you cannot rent it out again until it is brought out so <clears throat> my advice would be that you know start now wherever possible and get those levels up first of all it's good housekeeping anyway because whilst it's going to be law it's also good for any landlord to, to, to start that work as soon as possible so that they don't prolong it it also means that they will have lesser void periods if they do do that now whereas if you start to do that let's say i don't know in 2025 or 26 or whenever the, the time sort of kind of hits you all of a sudden you might find there's um, a big void period because you can't get the workers of course the next thing that will happen is that the rents will go up to a, a colossal amount not that they're not already at that sort of level now but they will go up to colossal amounts primarily because there will be a shortage of um property that it would be correct 
to rent, i.e. under the EPC minimum C standard. Yes, an interesting survey from Legal and General and YouGov this week said renters are willing to pay 13% premium for a low carbon property. And you can understand why, because they're going to have to pay it on the energy bill if the property's leaking uh, warmth, essentially. Um, so uh, there is actually a premium for the landlord to, to, to be incentivized to, uh, to actually get on with the work now. Um, there is one thing, of course, that the landlords are saying, well, we don't really know what to do because we don't know what's going to be essential and not, what's not going to be essential. We obviously don't want to do things that, that we don't have to do. But another barrier that's facing them, of course, is what knowing what work should be undertaken, because each home is unique. So a one-size-fits-all approach isn't going to work with this. The landlords need to understand the current energy efficiency of their homes before undertaking any retro, retrofit works to avoid unintended, unintended consequences, such as insulation inadvertently restricting ventilation, which would lead to mould growth. So it isn't just, well, yeah, we need to put some uh, stuff in the loft and some stuff in the in the cavity wall it's you know it can lead to the fact that actually you 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 make yourself a, a damp property that's going to have mold through it yes of course you've got to do this correctly paul there's no doubt about it and we know historically you know people don't like the cold so they won't open the windows they don't open the bathroom windows and when we used to have the old air bricks stuck in the top right hand corner of your room everybody put paper and sellotape over it so that they could stop the cold coming in. Um, and, and hence the, the mold, mold and the, the damp and all those things, they just don't go away and it's always somebody else's fault. But obviously the reason why designs are, are, are put together, there, are, they, you know, there has to be some form of natural ventilation that has to happen. But because we don't like the cold, I mean, it's like, you know, the number of properties I go to in the bathroom, I'm sure you've been to it, the bathroom is the area that, you know, no matter how many times you open a little bit of window, somebody comes along and closes it and it's like a sauna, it's like a steam room in there because they just don't want that little bit of cold because they don't want to catch, catch the cold. But in the meantime, that then creates the mold and the damp and so forth. And it's everybody else's fault um, in every possible way. Um, and it's um, so that that's going to continue. But um, I think that when you have ventilation or, or insulation, it has to be done according to the right regulations. Um, and if necessary, uh, somewhere else in the house, as long as there is air circulating um, into the property, then there's less a chance of it being a damp property. Yeah, they make the point that early 1900s homes, for example, have been built to very different standards to those that we see today, as you mentioned, the air bricks for a start. Uh, and it's um, the, the fact you've got to factor in the general deterioration over time. Um, and what it seems that the, the smart landlords are doing is they're work, there are now companies that are, that are helpfully project managing this kind of work with them. So they're actually putting a plan together to make the property carbon neutral or net zero carbon by mid-2030s. So, and, and then factoring in on the way certain benchmarks such as EPCC by 2025 and then moving on from there because there's no doubt this will be the start of it. It won't be the end of it. So there will be a need for these properties in the mid-2030s to be net carbon zero, net zero carbon rather. So they're actually planning a whole thing. So, right, okay, we'll do this in 2024, this in 27, this in 29 and this in 30 and then the landlord could at least budget. And that seems a sensible way to approach it, doesn't it? Like you said, it's good to start now. You know, don't wait till you're told in 2025 that this is law. It is good to start now.
that. And each time a property becomes vacant from maybe a tenancy, which by the way, is gonna become really, really hard, um, and primarily because there is a huge shortage of rental properties. Um, and of course, anyone that moves from one to another is finding that the rents have gone up colossally. So there are some landlords that will probably say, well, you know what, I'd rather not fix something that's not broke at this moment in time. My tenant's a good tenant. They've been there for the like X, Y, Z years and, and they're, they're good payers. I'd rather keep them. They may not charge them a lot of money and those tenants actually don't want to leave. So, you know, there's, there's a whole bunch of other issues that are going on. But um, as time goes on and then you find that all of a sudden in 2025, which really actually isn't that far away when you, when you think about it, um, the law comes in and, and you're going to be stuck with lots of properties that theoretically can't be rented until they've been brought up to a minimum C um, and from an EPC point of view. And so subsequently, um, that, that will cause another set of problems in the marketplace. Obviously, lack of stock to rent um, and also void periods for landlords. You're not going to get any help from the state on this because look at the size of the problem. There's 29 million UK homes that need to achieve net zero carbon by 2050. I mean, it's a massive job at the end of the day. 29 million homes that need to be completely free of any pollution by the uh, by the 2050s. Um, but that being said, landlords probably are a little bit uh, reluctant because there's a lot of talk about the possibility or maybe the fact that the Chancellor in a, in a, a future budget will give... VAT exemption on these kind of uh, efficiencies. I mean, the government are not going to pay to get these things retrofitted because, as I say, there's 29 million homes that need it, firstly. So that's just ridiculously expensive. But also, secondly, you know, it's a private uh, um, um, uh, ownership by the landlord, so it's their responsibility. But giving them, say, be a tax break, for example, might be, um, might, be might be something that would be uh, wise to do for landlords. But that then comes back to, well, maybe I'll wait until I see what the Chancellor does because I can save 20%. Yes, and, and they will. At some stage, they will. They've absolutely taxed the property market, especially the buy-to-let market, very, very heavily at this moment in time. In fact, it's almost become not a good project to have. Um, and the, 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 the government, the Chancellor, will have to, at some stage, address those issues in order to continue to make that sector that property uh, letting sector busy again at this moment in time it is not a good sector most landlords would prefer to exit right now and get out of it because it's just not financially viable for them to stay in it um, but the you know the ones that have got no borrowing or less borrowing on their properties are the stronger ones the ones that are highly geared um, you know, sort of uh, 95, 85, 90% borrowing against that. Those are the ones that are now suffering. Um, and there is no route in this where the government's going to help uh, anybody as far as the, um, you know, EPC minimum standards or any other situation is going to be because they don't want to. They, I mean, look at where we are with all these strikes at this moment in time. They, they just not wanted to assist um, because they don't have the money to do so. So. Um, if people aren't paying the taxes, then of course the next thing is that you know the government can't spend that money out. So, yeah, we're we're in a bit of a, a crossfire situation at this moment in time. But I would say that um, you know where where necessary, start working on your properties sooner rather than later. 
Well, you mentioned uh, landlords leaving uh, the uh, PRS, the private rented sector, uh, and we have some information on that for you today, which is quite interesting. So savers are getting uh, dismal returns, of course, from banks and building societies, although that is improving a little bit. Many people have, uh, in, long in the long run, uh, basically gone to residential property as a means of supplementing their income, supported, of course, over the years by record low mortgage borrowing rates and high demand from tenants and increasing rents. However, the attraction of buy-to-let, as we've said many times on here, has waned as far as some investors are concerned due to a series of tax changes in the private rented sector. And that has contributed to a loss, believe it or not, of $1.5 billion in revenue to the Treasury, according to a new independent analysis commissioned by the National Residential Landlords Association, or NALA. Another one of those anacronyms. The analysis conducted by Capital Economics found that restrictions in mortgage interest rate relief have contributed to there being 1.2 million fewer properties in the private rented sector in the UK than there otherwise could have been. The research comes as renters across the country continue to face a shortage of homes to rent and it is this widening supply-demand imbalance that is placing upward pressure on rental values. So the Chancellor's lost 1.5 billion, and we've lost 1.2 million homes to rent, and yet the government can't build enough homes to put everybody in a rental property, so they're relying on the private rented sector. It makes no sense to drive small landlords out of the industry when you need their homes, surely. Absolutely, and it just, it's just doesn't make any sense whatsoever, but... I'm sure there is a method in their madness somewhere along the line. I've just not worked out what that is at this moment in time. And because, you know, they are making it so difficult uh, for buy to let, for people to invest. Yes, the interest rate has gone up. Yes, the savers are now actually better off. And some, in a, in a weird sort of way, it's good to have the higher rate because those people that have savings were originally buying a lot of properties that maybe the first time buyers would have had the chance to buy because they were trying to supplement their their income by buying a property and renting it out and saying, well, at least it's given me X, Y, Z difference on the uh, income against what I've borrowed to, what I'm rent, uh, to the kind of rent we're getting back. Now, the rents have gone stupidly high at this moment in time. But what, what worries me, I suppose, is that it's not just the rents that have gone up. But, you know, when you're talking about, in some cases, two-bedroom flats, anything between, you know, 1500 to even £1,800 a month. And then on top of that, someone's got to find the utilities costs, the electric, the gas, and all the other costs that are going on. You know, it is, it is pressing not just the tenants, but also the landlords, who are continuing to say, well, actually, where am I going to get the money to cover the borrowing, or the, the, the loans that we've got? It has to go up on the rent. It's, it's a bit of a vicious circle that's going on uh, at, this, uh, at this time. But um, at some stage or another, they, they, they're going to have to give some. Otherwise, that sector is going to just diminish. And as you rightly say, what's going to happen next is we're going to have no stock. Um, and people are not going to be out. And so they'll be knocking on, on their doors. Was it yesterday or the day before, it was announced that they're going to try and bring in disused vessels, in other words, disused older, um, uh, what do they call it, ship, ship, ships and liners to turn around and start to turn them into um, uh, homes to take the refugees that they've now been housing in hotels 
um, into into this. I mean, it's just ridiculous when they could actually quite easily um, build more houses if, if the system would allow and and give give the investors the the better chance to do that. But they come up with these weird and wonderful um, ideas, which is again, to be honest with you, rather stupid because they're going to spend a lot of money converting these vessels, ferries, and God knows whatever else that they've got sitting in the in the yard, and and floating them. And, and then paying for that when they could actually use that money to go and do some of the property. In fact, some of the properties that the government has on their books, which actually need updating and upgrading themselves. Yeah, Capital Economics also found that between 2010 and 2016, the stock of private rented housing increased by a rate of 3.7% a year. However, between 2017, after the tax changes from George Osborne to 2021, the period in which the mortgage interest changes were implemented, it grew by just 0.4 of a percent. So up until that point, private renting stock was growing by 3.7%, almost 4% a year. Now it's 0.4 of a percent a year. The analysis reveals how if private rented housing stock had continued to grow at a rate of 3.7%, there would be a total of 6.8 million properties in the PRS in 2021, which would be around 1.2 million more than there are currently available. So the government has lost 1.5 billion in revenue. We've lost 1.2 million um, houses to rent out uh, through the private system. And really, the government's shot itself in the foot. And I just don't understand why the Chancellor hasn't looked at this. And the other point that, that, that you make is that all reasonable business expenses are allowed if you're running a company. And yet that is a very reasonable uh, cost that you have when you're renting a property and you are running it as a business after all. Why should you not be able to claim your cost? It's the only type of transactional business that, that has that, um, that restriction on it. It doesn't happen in any other type of business, does it? No, and, and I, I, I personally think that the strategy is going to be, and we, we kind of saw that in this current budget that just happened, there was absolutely nothing for the property sector at all to write home about. But I believe that come the end of the year or, or, the, or, or the last budget of the year or the first one next year, 24, same time, 24, we will find that they will want to make lots of changes. And I think this is a bit of a, a, a break issue going on to the property and the uh, sector, the development sector and so forth, just so that they can balance the books on other, other matters, um, which they haven't done before. When you look back um, over the pandemic period, the amount of money the government lashed out, they're trying to draw that back as quickly as possible um, by doing other things. If they made all the concessions to the property market, which we would love, like maybe no stamp duty to a certain level or loss of, you know, reduction of VAT, all those things will mean that they will, you know, lose money left, right and centre even more, which they will want to do as a motivator when it comes to uh, being re-elected in a, in a, a 18 months time. That, that's my view anyway. The government's rationale for the changes have actually been refuted by the Institute of Fiscal Studies. They don't agree with them on this. They agree with us, which is interesting. So, well, I guess we'll have to wait and see how this one pans out. One thing's for sure, though, we'll keep an eye on it on property matters, along with all the other things that we've been talking about today, including retrofitting. Even Who even knew it was a thing? So on that note, we'll uh, finish for this week. Joe, thank you always for your wisdom, as always. And uh, we'll see you again next Sunday, 10 a.m. <laughs>